Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Claire. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today, Claire's back. Hi, Claire. <laughs> Hi, Jim. Dr. Claire LaMonica, our director here at CTLT. And we're going to go on a little bit of a different journey today. We've been talking a lot about best practices in teaching and how to do this and how to do that. I think today, let's take a step back and let's talk about what helps inspire you as a teacher. Where do you go to kind of get some to maybe refuel, to get some ideas. And so we're going to take our first which of what may be many trips to Claire's Bookshelf. Claire's Bookshelf. That's where that's where all English majors go for inspiration. I would imagine so. That's great. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's exactly true. And I think a lot of us uh, who weren't necessarily English majors, but we all have our kind of our favorite collection of books. And again, it's not just something that's very prescriptive. You have an interesting selection of books here. What uh, We're going to talk about three or four of them today. What do they all have in common? If you were going to recommend three or four books that I should read about um, college teaching, uh-huh. what books would they be? And I have three that I always recommend, and then a fourth one that I think um, adds a little dimension to the first. So mm-hmm. the first one is uh, What the Best College Teachers Do by Ken Bain. The second one is The Courage to Teach by Parker Palmer. And the third one is Creating Significant Learning Experiences by um, L.D. Fink. Okay. And uh, then I've sort of added for today uh, What the Best College Students Do, which is another book by Ken Bain. And uh, it, it gives another perspective, provides a nice dialogue with uh, what the best college teachers mm-hmm. do, as yeah. one might expect. So we've talked a lot about Ken Bain so far in our young podcast here, uh, when we were talking about uh, the uh, the syllabus as a feast. I remember that yes. metaphor, yep. which I think is from what the best college teachers mm-hmm. do. How does that really speak to you? What what resonates about that? Well, you know, it's the thing I like about it, it is that it is uh, descriptive rather than prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So it's not a how-to-teach book. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, here's how a select group of very effective teachers teach. And we're going to look for similarities. So they, so that's actually what he did. That was mm-hmm. his methodology, was he, um, he and his researchers over a period of, of quite a number of years um, identified a group of um, best college teachers, and you know you can read about the methodology how they how they define that, um, and then had them talk about their practice of teaching, and they looked for themes of, of, in what in what they said, and so you get a very richly descriptive presentation of effective teaching and mm-hmm. and what effective what what teachers do to create effective teaching and I, and going back to what you what you said uh, originally what impressed me about this book in particular is that i went into it thinking it was oh this is just kind of a veteran 
university teacher's opus, uh, you know, a treatise on on everything. Here's everything I learned. And it really isn't. There was a method and there was oh, research yeah. that was done into this. And so he really does paint a picture. But the but the uh, the, the materials he's using have been well uh, have been well researched, have been yeah. well sussed out. Vetted and and yeah. um, and really um, looked at a, across a big body of, yeah. of uh, work. Yeah. Yeah. So so when he talks about when he talks about the promising syllabus, mm-hmm. he has looked at you know dozens, maybe hundreds of syllabi created by uh, this group of of highly effective teachers, mm-hmm. and looked for uh, for commonality. So it's. Um, so if you want to find out how to create a promising syllabus, what the best college teachers do isn't really a good place to go because he doesn't go into a lot of detail yeah. about what a promising syllabus might yeah. look like. You know, he right. really talks um, in much more general terms. The book answers six or seven questions. Mm-hmm. So things like, how do they prepare to teach? What do they know about how students learn? How, how do they create a uh, a creative learning environment? Was right. The chapter yeah. How, how do they um, how do they assess student learning? Um, a lot of you know just big big questions like uh-huh. that, uh-huh. and then each chapter addresses that in 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 these sort of um, broad terms uh, gleaned from from his interactions with all these teachers. So uh, again, it's not prescriptive. So it's not a lot of how to do this, how to do that. It's a it's a good it's a good way, I think, to be inspired yes. a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's inspirational and it's aspirational. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. No, that's a good. Yeah. That's the a good first way to time put it. I read it, he he talks early on about the four questions that when he's talking about how how the best college teachers prepare to teach, he says, "Well, there there are four basic questions that they they ask themselves." Right. Um, and I literally thought, "Oh, I wonder if I can think of them," and and I closed the book. Mm. And um, I wrote down what I thought were four questions that um, I might ask myself if, as I were preparing to teach. And it turned out three of them were right. <laughs> right. So I gave myself a C. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moved right on. Yeah. And, the fourth, um, and the fourth question was? The fourth question was, this is very embarrassing. The fourth yeah. question that he asks is, um, how will I evaluate my own teaching is right. sort of the shortcut question. And that, that was another Ken Bain moment that we talked about in yeah. a previous podcast when we were talking about midterm uh, assessments yeah. of our teaching right. yes. as opposed to yeah. assessing our students' work. Um, that is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, that is a yeah. tough one. Well, I just, you know, yeah. I'd done it. I just had never thought about it as a formal part of my pedagogy. Moving on. Yes, we should across do that. as we move along, the, move down the books. I might have to put some sound effects in or something. Yeah. Of us like walking along the the polished yeah. oak browsing, floor of your of your browsing office. Browsing the stacks. Yeah, yeah, browsing the sticks. Um, yeah. Moving on to, uh, I think the second one you had mentioned was the Parker Palmer book. Yeah, the Parker Palmer, which book. which has a great title, "The Courage to Teach." And you know, I resisted this book. Did you I, really? Yes, yeah. I did. You know, it was recommended to me. And I thought, seriously, does it sound a little? Teach? Does it sound a little too self help? Yeah, yeah, and I, yes, it, yeah. it was. And and actually, my response to the opening chapter was, yeah, 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 kumbaya, I'm okay, you're okay, <laughs> let's all teach. You know, right, I mean, right. I was I, but um, I love this book. I love the premise, and I love um, I love his conception of teaching. Mm-hmm. So so Parker Palmer comes out of a, a Quaker tradition. Okay. And so uh, he brings that tradition 
to bear on teaching. And a part of that tradition, and, and I'm not a Quaker, and I and I don't want to mischaracterize it, but mm-hmm. um, my understanding is that Quakers examine things. Yes. It, it takes yeah. them decades to arrive at consensus around important topics that they're mm-hmm. that they are examining and he conceives teaching as an examination of of important topics and so he rather than talking about teacher centered teaching or student centered teaching he talks about subject centered teaching and boy that's where he got me as soon as i right. saw that i thought wow that's just that's cool that's and and so teaching is a shared examination of a subject uh-huh. by a community of learners that includes that includes the instructor so the instructor really joins in this circle of learning mm-hmm. and um i just i loved the way he talked about that and yeah. i i also loved the way he talked about why teaching requires courage I also really like the notion of uh, the fear that we all bring to the classroom. Yeah, and yeah. and not um, not just us as instructors, but our students as learners. Right. And and he has this great story where he talks about the student from hell, and we've all had this student in our classroom. It's the kid who sits in the back of the room, arms crossed, body language shutting us out eyes possibly rolled up in the back of the head, facial expression says, just try to teach me. I dare you. Yeah, I dare you. You know, right, yeah. yeah. He talks about his encounter with one such student and the things he subsequently learned about the student that explained that that demeanor and that attitude didn't come from, it, it didn't come from a sense of aggression or or challenge. It came from the student's own sense of uh, not belonging mm-hmm. and the student's fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was This was a first-generation college student living at home with what was essentially um, an abusive parent um, who never missed a chance to tell the student, you're wasting your time, you don't belong there, they right. don't want people like you there, they don't want people like us there. And so, you know, that was the, when you think about the courage that it took for that student just to come to class every day, but afraid that he might fail. And so, you know, if he puts up this front, then the failure is not really his fault, you know? I mean, it's, to an extent, it's yeah, just it's really, complex. it's just, it's a very yeah. complex, it's a very, yeah. you know, and it's much more psychology than I can do, but it's, yeah. um, but it's, you know, there's that. And then there's the fear we bring in that we, won't be able, you know, we'll, somebody will ask us a question that we don't know the answer to, right. that we won't be able to reach that, you know, the student from hell, all of those fears that we bring with us, and then how those fears interact to, um, yeah. to interfere with the teaching and learning process. And I think our colleague, uh, Julianne and I may sit down and actually do a podcast because I know she's been talking a lot lately, working with uh, instructors on the uh, the imposter syndrome. Yes, like yes. Uh, it, that we yes. all go through at some point. That like, we all I really have. don't. I really shouldn't be here. Yeah, I'm really faking it, and they're going to find out any moment. Somebody's going to know. Someone's going to. Yeah. They're going to. Someone's just going to stand up and point a finger at you and yell "Jacques," yeah, and, and, right. and you're done. Well, you have no so, idea. So the courage to teach, and again, I think that's why it's a great yeah. title. I, yeah. I think it's a great title because it does have. Um, once you get past that sort of 
self-help thing. Um, yeah, I like, mean, you know, you just have to get you have to get into the part where he's re- where he's really talking about the implications for teaching. Yeah, and know, doing and, the examining, and, and it's and, it's and wonderful. Whatnot. Yeah. So, what's next on the bookshelf? Well, the third book that I often recommend to people yeah. is um, D. Fink's uh, Creating Significant Learning Experiences. And and it's it's a very different book from either mm-hmm. Bain or Palmer. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it makes it into my, um, you know, if you can only read three books, read these three list, right. is that it um, it essentially operationalizes Bain. It is very prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Probably overly so, um, but it and it interestingly it offers basically a stealth, a twelve step process for creating a course. Wow! Yeah, okay. right. And who knew there would be twelve steps? And yeah. yet there are, um, and all the way from thinking about the context within which the course is being taught to um, designing the various assessments. Mm-hmm. So, um, and designing your course schedule for the, for the semester. Mm-hmm. So it's very, um, it's very prescriptive, as I said, perhaps overly so, but it's a great, it's a great process to go through once. Okay. And um, I think after you go through that process once, then you will find ways to, uh, to make a process your own or mm-hmm. sort of to, to mm-hmm. develop your own process, which might not involve all 12 steps. Yeah. Or maybe it will. Um, or but, not but all 12 steps all the time. Every not time all 12 steps every yeah. time. Um, maybe not all 12 steps in order. I think I w- might approach things in a slightly – I think I do approach things in a slightly different order. Right. I also don't see it as a linear process, which it's, it's laid out in a very linear fashion in the book. Mm-hmm. And I see it as a very reiterative process. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think – well, I, you know, he talks about designing – learning outcomes, learning goals, he, he calls them. And then, you know, then deciding your assignments and so on and so forth. And and what I have come to realize over 40 years of teaching. <laughs> I, get, I can bleep that out that if you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that um, I often start out with a pretty concrete idea of what it is that I want to accomplish during the semester. Uh-huh. But then I'll sort of go along and I'll be thinking about the um, – the tasks that I want my students to complete. And if I try to match those up with the things I'm trying to accomplish, there's not always as high a correlation as I would like to see. And, mm-hmm. but, and that becomes a sign to me that I, neither, I either need to rethink the tasks or I need to rethink the outcomes. And sometimes it's that I've missed an important outcome. Right. So when I ask myself, why is it that I think it's so important that students engage in this task, then I realize that there's something that I want them to learn. So, um, for example, this happens all the time with writing. People, you know, people talk to me a lot about student writing and how to help students, how to support student writers. And they'll say, but I, I don't, you know, I don't really want to, I don't spend a lot of time on it. I, I can't, I don't have a lot of time to, to talk about this. And so I ask them, is this an outcome for your course? Is improved writing an intended outcome for your course? And if it is, then it deserves some time And if it's not, yeah, it probably doesn't deserve so much time, but maybe it also doesn't deserve as much weight. So, you know, you have to kind of balance all these, you have to kind of balance Mm -hmm. all these things out. So um, I, but I, I really like think I like the, I like 
the process okay. I really like his taxonomy of learning goals. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a he has a very nice taxonomy of learning goals. Um, uh, not bloomish, but uh, finkish. Fink- <laughs> <And> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. which is a different yeah. thing, but it allows you to think about things that you don't always think about um, when you're looking at bloom, which is purely cognitive. Yes. And and he combines that with some of the affective domains. So, caring. You know, the human the human dimension and the caring dimension and the learning to learn dimension, which mm-hmm. is cognitive, but, you know, something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's all kind of wrapped up in one taxonomy. Very nice. I like it a lot. So for someone who's been teaching the same course for a long time, would this be a good gateway to reexamining that uh, course or is it more about I- course design? Well, I, it's about course design, but I think um, I think it might be an interesting way to... Um, to reconsider a course. And right. I and I sometimes have people do that. I use this as the basis for the design your course workshop for early career faculty. Oh, okay. But frequently they are um they are essentially redesigning courses. Because so they've inherited a course. They've from inherited a, a course you know, and they position, they need right. to sort of rethink their right. way through that course. Yeah. So so it's a nice way to do that. And we should mention you've used the Palmer book and the Ken Bain book for various other uh, workshops or uh, teaching learning communities yeah. that we have here at CTLT, and I yes. know some of our colleagues have as well. So. Yes. So, they pop up in a lot of ways. They, well, they do, and, and we talk about them a lot, and we will continue to talk about mm-hmm. them a lot here on our podcast. I guess uh, what the best college students do is a good way to wrap this up, because it is kind of the fourth book of our three. Yeah, yes, um, that's a good description. It, it's the fourth book of three. It's the fourth book of three. It approaches... The idea of being a teacher differently because you're kind of following. Because it's through students' eyes. It's through students' eyes, and you're and you're and you're and he and he uses their stories to kind of challenge some of the preconceived notions with which we uh, approach teaching. Right. Right. Yeah. So he. So what the best college students do is written with an audience of college students in mind right. or students approaching right. college. Yeah. And I uh, I actually recommend this one as a high school graduation present. Right. I yeah. think I think it's a it would be a great high school graduation present. Whether you can get your 21st century high school graduate to to read it uh, without being required to do so is another question. I don't know if there's um, an audiobook version of it yeah, or something I don't like that. Know if if there's, get... There might be. There might well be, yeah. but I um I actually, I, I, I asked Ken, Ken Bain the last time he was here, I said, so yeah. seriously, yeah. Are, are high school graduates, are high school students, college students going to read this book? And he said, well, they are reading it. Mm-hmm. He said, there are, there are colleges who are, that are using this book as the foundation of a freshman seminar mm-hmm. or even as the foundation of a course for students who, who are at risk. For not of oh, not succeeding yeah. in the in the university, and he said, you know, it, they're reading; they really are reading it, and they are mm-hmm. really are getting things out of it. And, so, and he approaches this from a very um, it's a very experiential sort yes. of perspective. It's really an argument for a liberal education. It is, and, and that's I mean that's what's at the core of the book. It's mm-hmm. it's an argument for a liberal education, and it's a a, a guide to making the most of a liberal education. So. Why is it that we have these sort of foundational subjects that we make everybody study? You know, you you come to college and you're going to take, 
You're going to take these core subjects. You're going to take some math. You're going to take some science. You're going to take some social sciences. You're going to take some English. You're going to take some communication. And it it takes that and it shows how that can be seamlessly interwoven with the courses in your major, no matter what that is, mm-hmm. to lead you down a pathway to success because you are coming at whatever you decide, whatever questions you approach in your life, you're coming at them with a prepared mind. And so that notion of a, of a well-prepared mind um, and what that does uh, to help us be curious, to help us uh, be creative um, is, is really something that I've been interested in a long time. And mm-hmm. I think that a student who reads this um, and only takes that away is right. taking away the most important thing. So one final question. In what order would you read these? Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, I suppose that's a really interesting does, question, and does, I hadn't thought about it. But, you know, I think Parker Palmer po- provides a philosophical base. Okay. And then um, What the Best College Teachers Do provides a um, a, a, descript- a descriptive approach mm-hmm. to thinking about teaching. Okay. Um. And um, then maybe, you know, Defink provides a, um, uh, a how-to. Yeah, you know, how do you actually okay, do how, it? How yeah. are you yeah. going to do this? How yeah. are you going to operationalize it? Yeah. And then coming back to what the best college students do, I, you know, and sort of looking back and right. might help you sort of pull all of that together. So read them that way. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This was a great idea. I love this. Let's do this one again. We will. (laughs) So that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology on our website. That's ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. Until next time, for all of us here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, I'm Jim G. Thanks for listening.